Well, good morning, Element Church. Um, as Monica said, my name is Colin, and here with my wife, Laura. Uh, we do have a one-year-old son. Uh, his name is Levi. He is not with us today. He uh, has, is staying with my mom and is going to be enjoying some grandma time this weekend. He's been having a lot of fun. Um, but we're super thankful to be here, super thankful to have spent some time with the pastor's search team. Uh, I got to meet a lot of you before the service uh, started. Uh, would love to be able to have the opportunity to meet you after the service if I didn't get to meet you and your family. Uh, so please feel free to come up to me and meet me. Uh, would love to have that opportunity with you. Um, so anyways, uh, today uh, it is happy it is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, again, just want to say thank you for being a dad. Um, thank you for choosing to father your children. Our world desperately needs godly men to be actively involved in their children's life, loving them, discipling them, caring for them. So thank you for doing that. And to those who don't have warm and fuzzy feelings for their fathers, um, or who have not yet get to experience fatherhood and who desire that, I see you, okay? And our Father in heaven, he sees you. And not every father in this world has loved his children well, and I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry if your father has not loved you well. But our Father in heaven, he loves you so perfectly and he binds up the brokenhearted and he wants to be near to you today as your perfect heavenly Father. This morning I'm going to be preaching from Romans 8, 12 through 17. So you're welcome to join along in the Bible app or if you have a physical copy of God's word, you feel free to open that up today. I'm hopeful that this passage will serve as an encouragement to our hearts today as we consider living as children of God. So as you open your Bibles, allow me to say a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by your love for us. We're thankful that you've drawn near to us in Jesus Christ so that we might be adopted into your family as sons and daughters. We're thankful that you've given us your spirit that dwells in our hearts and cries, Abba, Father. Oh Lord, we desire to be near to you today. We desire to be led by your spirit and to live in accordance with our identity in you. Help us this day as we hear from your word. Speak to us plainly. I pray that you'd preach a better sermon than I have prepared, spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So just as the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness, so you and I are on a journey. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites found themselves enslaved to the Egyptians in a foreign land. They cried out to God for freedom and relief from their oppression, from their hard labor, and God heard their cries. God raised up Moses to deliver the Israelites from their Egyptian captivity, and through Moses, God performed many signs and wonders, including splitting the Red Sea in half so that the Israelites could walk through to escape from the Egyptians. And after walking through the Red Sea, the Israelites immediately celebrated this victory over the Egyptians with a song of praise to the Lord. But yet in the very next chapters of Exodus, the Israelites began complaining to God. They didn't have food or water immediately provided to them, so they grumbled to God and said, God, 
take us back to Egypt. They had food and water for us, so take us back there. It seemed that they had immediately forgotten the wonderful deliverance that God had provided for them, and they wished to subject themselves to the slavery that they had just escaped, rather than living in the freedom of their father's care. And with this journey in mind, Paul explains in Romans 8, 12 through 17, how we are on a journey as well, and how we are sometimes incredibly similar to these Israelites. So let's read this passage together. It's Romans 8, 12 through 17. God's word says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So again, Paul has placed us on a journey in the wilderness. And we're either on the path to life in the triune God, or we are on the path to death in our own fleshly desires. These are two divergent paths. But interestingly enough, Paul begins by telling us who we are not. In verse 12, he tells us we are not debtors to the flesh. We do not owe anything to our own flesh. We're not required to walk on the path of death that are to serve our own desires. But why is this the case? Well, as Paul's just explained in verse 11, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. We don't have to walk according to our own fleshly desires because the Spirit of God is the one who leads us. And this is exactly what Paul goes on to say in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He's telling us, you don't have to live into that old way of death because you don't owe anything to your flesh. So let's dig into this idea more in verses 12 through 13. What makes someone a debtor? What makes someone a debtor? Well, in our culture, there's this typical pattern that we have, right? When you do something nice for someone, they look back at you and they say, hey, I owe you one. Thank you for that. Well, it's kind of this contractual obligation that you have, right? You did a favor for them, and so they feel like they need to do a favor for you. That's partly what Paul is getting at here. That's partly the idea. But again, our idea is a little bit more contractual, whereas the idea in Scripture is a little bit more relational or covenantal. And so Paul, when he says that we're not debtors to the flesh, he's saying you don't have to live in relationship with the flesh anymore. It hasn't lived up to its end of the relationship so you don't have to obey it anymore. And so I want you to think about it. What good has your flesh ever done in your relationship with it? 
those sinful impulses that you often have inside of you, when have you ever been thankful for that? Your flesh is actually a terrible God. Your own desires are terrible at leading you. And I can speak from personal experience here. Again, my fleshly impulse is to live in a prideful sort of arrogance. And this specifically plays out for me in my relationship with fitness. I become so focused on getting better and beating other people that I actually end up doing more harm than good to my body. It's easy for me to base my identity in my performance rather than in Christ. And my flesh always ends up hurting me and leading me down the path of death. And this is the same way for all of us. We're all tempted to revert back into slavery, into to our flesh, into our sin. We're tempted to remain in debt to our flesh, believing that it's the better God, it's the better leader. And just as the Israelites felt the temptation to return to slavery in Egypt for just some food and water, we're tempted to revert back to our sin, to our flesh, for very measly things. But Paul reminds us here that we're not indebted to the flesh. We're free from its constraints. And we must remember this because of the cost of obeying our flesh. It's death. And this is what Paul gets to in verse 13. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so when we follow our flesh, we are walking on the path towards death. And this death is not merely a physical death. It's a spiritual death. It's separation from God. It is eternal punishment. And so when we submit ourselves to our sinful impulses, we're choosing separation from God. And Paul, he doesn't throw this warning in here just lightly, right? This warning that walking on the path of our flesh leads us into death. This is not a light warning. He spent so much time in the earlier chapters of Romans warning us of the wrath of God that's to come. And let me tell you, it's a terrible thing to fall underneath God's wrath rather than his kindness. It's eternal torment away from the presence of the Lord, and there's no escape. And so let me just talk with you for a moment plainly, that if you are walking in unrepentant sin, I urge you to turn away from that, to turn away from submitting yourselves to your fleshly ways, and to turn towards Christ. Your sin will only lead you to ruin. It is a terrible God. It will only lead to your death. But Paul doesn't leave us in our sin. He he, he always offers the way of freedom in life. This is the way of God. You don't have to walk on the way of death, but you can walk on the way of life. As Paul continues on at the end of verse 13, into verse 14, he says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so there's freedom to be found in the Spirit of God and in knowing Christ Jesus. 
Just as the Israelites were led by the pillar of fire in the wilderness, so we are led by the Spirit of God. And if you've placed your faith in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells in you, you were not destined for death. But you have the ability by the Spirit to put your sin to death and to live by the Spirit of God. So we find here this very peculiar reality, right, which Paul has talked about. It's the reality that life in the Spirit includes putting to death our sinful deeds. Life in the Spirit includes denying the very things that our flesh desires. Life includes death. And this is exactly the opposite of what our culture tells us to do. The very air we breathe tells you. (laughs) He says, be who you are, express yourself, don't deny what you want. If you deny yourself, you will never truly live. That's what our culture would like us to believe. But the scripture tells us that this is the way to the road of death. Paul is warning us to swerve far away from this way of thinking. Rather than listen to your fleshly desires, you must deny them. And let me clarify what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about fleshly desires. He's not just talking about your bodily needs like eating and drinking. No, when he's talking about this, or as he says in verse 13, that talking about the deeds of the body, he's referring to the every use of our body, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, or our feet. That's referring to ways in which we serve ourselves instead of God and other people. This is what it means to live into our sinful impulses, is to use our body for evil things rather than to glorify God. And we must choose to deny these impulses to serve ourselves instead of God and others. We must choose a life of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we do this, when we turn away from ourselves, from our fleshly impulses and look to God, this is the path of life. This is the freedom that he offers you. And Paul declares in verse 15 that if we're led by the Spirit, this reveals that we are truly children of God. And this is the heart of the matter that Paul is trying to get us to. Right? These previous two verses have warned us that if we continue on the path of listening to our fleshly desires, that we will live in death. Here the tone changes. Here the tone changes, and he's trying to get us to see the better things that are in store for you who have believed in Jesus Christ. He declares to you, Christian, that if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a son or a daughter of God. And what glorious truth this is. Here we see the beautiful truth of our adoption in Christ spelled out for us. So Christian, if you've placed your faith in Christ and you walk by the Spirit, God is your Father and you are His child. God chose you as His son or His daughter. And Ephesians 1 tells us that before the very foundation of the world, He had looked upon you. He chose you as as His son or daughter. He did this intentionally. It wasn't haphazardly. It wasn't like He just stumbled into you as if you were an accident. No, he chose you intentionally to adopt you. He set his love upon you. 
he had his eyes on you, and he would not let up until you were his own. And so what does it mean to be a child of God? Well, in verses 15 through 17, the end of our passage here, Paul lays out three characteristics of being a child of God. Three characteristics of being a child of God. And as I share these characteristics, let me encourage you just to absorb these into your soul. Allow this to stand as an encouragement to you, whether you had the most intentional, loving father in the world or the most absent father in the world. Let the spirit of Christ speak to you and encourage you in your adoption in him. So first, in our relationship with God, freedom replaces fear. Freedom replaces fear. So apart from Christ, we only know God as our righteous judge. We have no hopes of knowing God as Father because our sin condemns us before him. It estranges us from God. Thus, those who are apart from Christ, they're slaves to fear. This is what Paul says here in verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Right? So freedom replaces fear. So those who are apart from Christ, they're slaves to fear. And what are they afraid of? What are people afraid of? Well, this passage tells us, again, it is death. Again, they're on the path to death, those who are apart from Christ, those who do not have the spirit. So they're afraid of death. They're slaves to the fear of death. And again today, this, this may be you, whether you're in Christ or outside of Christ. You, maybe you fear sickness. You fear the loss of your wealth. You fear the death of your parents. You fear the death of your children. You fear your own death. And this fear leads us to the terrible anxiety that we were just talking about earlier. This terrible anxiety about the future and what the future might hold. It leads us to worry and it especially leads us to doubt that God is a good father. That he will take care of us. And so let me declare to you that as a child of God, you are freed from the fear of death. You are no longer held by this fear. As 2 Timothy 1.10 tells us, through the appearing of Jesus Christ, God has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You don't have to fear death because that's no longer your destiny. That's no longer where you are going. You no longer have to fear death because you are on the path of life. As a child of God, you can trust that your father will never condemn you, that you will be forever accepted in his arms. And again, this doesn't mean that we don't mourn death when it comes, right? This doesn't mean that we just shove it off and don't think about it. No, death is still a reality. It's a part of the fallen world in which we live in. But Paul's point is that although we lament death's reality, we no longer have to fear it. We no longer have to fear it. And if we don't have to fear it, then we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to have anxiety about it. We can trust in our Heavenly Father 
knowing that he is kind and gracious and that he is leading us on the path of life. And so this leads us to the second characteristic of the child of God. The Spirit of God leads us to experience God as our Father. And I use that word experience intentionally. Look at what Paul says again in verses 15 through 16. He says, again, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so again, this word here, when he says that we cry, Abba, Father, this word for cry, that's the same word if you're reading through the Gospels and you read about when a person's possessed by a demon and they cry out. That's that same kind of mentality. It's this kind of internal busting forth that happens whenever we're overwhelmed by the Spirit. This is not some sort of cool, collected, rational thought that we have. This is that warm, fuzzy feeling that you get when you're embraced by your Father. As one writer put it, he says, Paul stresses that our awareness of God as Father comes not from rational consideration, nor from external testimony alone, but from a truth deeply felt and intensely experienced. And so as Christians, we have this glorious privilege to call God our Father because the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit inside of us that we are children of God. So, again, your Father... Your father in heaven was not merely content just to say to you, you were a child of God. He, he does say that. He says you are a child of God. But he does more than that. He sent his son Jesus into the world to make us children of God. Objectively, he made it happen. And then he sent his spirit into our hearts to make us experience God as our father. The Spirit, he's the one crying out within us, Abba, Father. This is something that just happens to us. You can't manufacture it. You can't get it from some sort of external thing, right? This is happening from the Spirit. We cry out to God as Father when we feel his love and when we see him shaping our lives. It's like when a baby sees their father and just out of pure joy and excitement, they just cry Dad, it's something deeply felt. They do this, the, the, the child, the baby, they do this because they feel, they feel safe, they feel loved, they feel seen. This is the same way it works with our Father in heaven. So again, when Christians come to Father's Day, it just hits us a different way. It just hits us a different way. Whether we had an amazing father or an absent father, the Spirit of God he raises our eyes upward to look at our heavenly Father. The Spirit compels us to consider the ways in which our heavenly Father has taken great care of us. Our Father, he's, he's guided our lives. He's provided for us through the trials. He's lavished his love upon us throughout all of our lives. And I want to clarify here, Christians don't merely have just a good father 
in heaven. We have the best father, the true father. We get our idea of fatherhood from God himself, right? He is the truest father there could ever be. In other words, you couldn't ask for a better father than the father in heaven. You get to experience fatherhood in the truest and most real sense because you have the true father in heaven as your father. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to downplay any terrible experiences you've had with any earthly fathers. If you were abused or neglected or abandoned, that's not okay, and I'm not trying to just put a Band-Aid over that wound, right? That's not what we're trying to do today. All I want you to hear today is that you can trust your Heavenly Father, that He is good, that He is perfect, and that He will love you always. He will never forsake or abandon you. So now as we move into our third characteristic of the child of God, Paul declares in verse 17 that we are heirs of our Father's kingdom. He says, if we are sons of God, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This third characteristic reminds us that our sonship is both a present reality and a future reality. We do experience God as our Father now in the Spirit, but we're also awaiting our future inheritance of our Father's kingdom. We're the privileged heirs of God's kingdom because we are our Father's beloved children. Your Father's the King of the universe, and in the coming ages, He is going to give you all things. All things. And why are we our Father's beloved children? This is a key thing for us to remember. Why are we our Father's beloved children? It's not because we somehow earned that. No, it's because we are fellow heirs with Christ. That's what Paul tells us in verse 17. It's only because of our union with Christ that we have any privileged relationship with him. Jesus is the true heir of all things. Hebrews 1-2 teaches us, and we share in his inheritance. He lets us get in on that inheritance. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and it's because of his eternal righteousness before God that we get to share in that sonship and in that inheritance. And we got to be careful to remember this because it's easy to feel entitled to our inheritance, as if we somehow deserve to be children of God and to get in on these future promises. But this truth, it reminds us that we were previously children of the devil, children of wrath, and we were completely undeserving of the beautiful inheritance of God's kingdom. But because Christ bore our our sin for us, because he was righteous when we were not, because he rose from the dead in victory, we get to share in his glorious inheritance. We have a privileged place in God's kingdom because of Jesus. But sharing in Jesus' inheritance, it doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily. We do not come into the kingdom without suffering. As Paul ends in verse 17, he says, provided we suffer 
with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, Jesus paved this road for us. And we have to be, we have to follow him. Jesus first had to suffer the reproach of men. He was mocked and beaten. He was eventually crucified on the cross, bearing our sin. And we're invited to follow Christ in this path of suffering. This is the path of life, is the path of suffering. During his earthly ministry, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And again, like I mentioned, this brings us back to that earlier conversation of being on the path of death or on the path of life. The path of life involves dying to ourselves, putting our sin away, and suffering with Christ. And yet, if we endure on this path, we will be on the path to life. Just as Christ suffered and died, and then three days later rose from the grave, we will follow in that same pattern, suffering with Christ in this life for the sake of his name, for the sake of his gospel. If we follow along with him, we will share in that glorious resurrection on the final day. We will be on the path of glory with Christ if we are willing to deny ourselves and to follow him. Maybe an illustration would help here. So again, I mentioned that I have a one-year-old son, Levi. He loves being with his dad. I work from home right now, and so he often will bust into the room where I'm working and just in the middle of the day and cry, start crying out, Dada, Dada, he wants to be with me. But because I'm his father and he's so young, I still do know what's best for him as his father. I know the type of godly life that I want him to lead. And so this does require discipline. Levi still doesn't understand what's good for him in a complete sense, right? He still does things like shove electrical cords into his mouth or less funny things like hitting mom and dad. But I know that these things are not good for him if I want him to live a godly life. Therefore, I discipline him. When he tries to shove those cords in his mouth, I say no, and I take the cords away from him. I do this so that he can be with his dad safely and for the long haul. And this is what being a son or daughter of God looks like. When we are like my son Levi, trying to shove electrical cords in our mouth, when we're trying to drink the poison of our idolatry, when we want to binge on that favorite TV show or overeat our favorite food or watch that inappropriate video, our father, he says no. He says no. And although we might think it's the best thing in the moment, our Father reminds us that denying ourselves is better so that we can walk on the path of life and be with Him. He teaches us that suffering in the moment is better so that we might be glorified with Him. He reminds us that saying no to our flesh now means that we get to be with our Father forever. 
So this is what it looks like to be with your father. So I invite you today, just some concluding thoughts here. I invite you to be with your father, to be with your father, to enjoy being with him, to relish the relationship that is yours already in Christ Jesus and by the spirit. Jesus has already secured the fact that you are a son or daughter of God. The spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. The triune God resoundingly says, you are a child of God. And so you no longer have to fear death, but you can stand in his love and favor forever. So I invite you to this week, just enjoy some time with him in prayer. Enjoy being with him. Some of us are so afraid to go to God in prayer because of our sin, our shame, our failures, or we're just anxious about being in his presence. But God invites you out of the shadows into his loving embrace. And so let your father be your father today. Come to him in prayer and enjoy him. And secondly, I invite you to deny yourself and obey your father. As we've seen in this passage, the path of life that we want to be on is one marked by self-denial and suffering. So I invite you to consider, are there aspects of your life that are still marked by self-service rather than self-denial? Are there aspects of your life that you're still clinging on to, believing that you know what is best rather than what your father knows is best? See, as we've seen in this passage, there's freedom in serving others and in serving God. So I invite you to consider this week just one way that you can deny yourself and serve others. Just consider one way that you can faithfully apply this text for yourself. Maybe it's making your spouse's favorite meal one night rather than just eating out again. Maybe it's buying an extra coffee at the coffee shop for your coworker so that you can intentionally share the love of Christ with them. Maybe it's going to the park with your kids in the evening rather than sitting on the couch and resting. Consider just one small way you can walk in self-denial this week for the sake of others and for the gospel. And I want to end just addressing anyone in the room who may not be a Christian, who has not placed their faith in Christ. I invite you to deny yourself and to turn to Christ today. The path you are on leads to eternal death and separation from Christ. And it may feel good in the moment to continue to go after your fleshly desires, but it leads to death. So I invite you today to consider the path of life. While the path of life, it does consist um, excuse me, consist of suffering and denying yourself, it leads to eternal life with our Father in heaven. Our God would love to embrace you as a father embraces his son, but in order for that to occur, you must believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Your sin bars you from knowing God as your father, so you must believe in Jesus Christ the righteous who died on the cross for sin so that you might no longer live to sin but in his righteousness. So believe in Christ today. Turn from your sin and run to him. He longs to embrace you in his arms. So today, as we respond to God, I invite you to reflect on God as your father if you are in Christ. 
revel in his absolute love and care for you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for loving us first. Thank you for adopting us into your family by the blood of Christ and for inviting us on the path of life. Help us today to heed your spirit. Please draw near to us, spirit, and help us cry, Abba, Father. Please lead us on the path of life today. Amen. I want to make sure that you all are aware that at the back of the room we do have the elements for communion set up. Today, if you are in Christ, if you've believed in him, and you want to take a moment to reflect upon the love of Christ and the way in which God has made you a son or daughter of Christ, which is by his blood, by his death on the cross, by his broken body, I invite you to consider taking communion today as a way of remembering his death on the cross, the price that he has paid so that you might have fellowship with him, so that he might be your father and you might be his child. And if you're not in Christ today, if you've not placed your faith in him, I invite you to stay in your seats to take Jesus Christ as your savior so that he might be your savior and that God might be your father. Thank you, church.